The Tactical Transition Navigating the Civilian Frontier Mastering Career Strategies Sharpening Networking Tools and Creating a Successful Transition Plan the Tactical Transition Podcast. We focus on our senior military leaders as they transition from their military careers into the civilian job market, covering best practices, up-to-date trends, additional resources, and tips for landing that dream job. This is episode number five, and we are so excited. I am Cindy Poe. I am an executive career coach with ESOL Seminars, and I am here with my Battle buddy, we're going with battle buddy, right? We're going battle buddy, Michelle. Battle buddy yes, good. battle buddy sounds better than business partner or lifelong friends, <laughs> which we thing. are, but associate, my associate, Michelle Lewis. So we are excited <laughs> today. Uh, how are you doing today, Michelle? I'm fantastic. And Cindy, I am very, very excited about this episode. We've got a phenomenal guest, um, a, a very dear friend uh for a i would say a long time but i've learned when i describe people to to you and i say oh cindy is uh my oldest friend yeah i, I don't realize like that. that language manner matters yeah, <laughs> yeah so, that's yeah that's not that's not nice i don't like it when you tell people i'm your <laughs> oldest friend that's just not nice <laughs> Okay, so Cindy is the friend I've known the longest. We'll put it that way. But Dave, Dave's Dave's up there. I have to tell you, I've known Dave many, many years. So again, uh, bringing somebody on the podcast that I have a that you and I both actually have yeah. a personal connection with, but um, more so uh, value that professional aspect. So I'm very excited about this episode, Cindy. Absolutely. So a little bit about Dave. Uh, Dave offers a wealth of experience of both uh, as both a career military officer and senior leader with the private sector. His corporate leadership includes service as a corporate officer for several firms in the Washington, D.C. area. He led a global career transition training program spanning a all 50 states and 17 countries and territories in support of the Labor Department and the U.S. military. Tough job, Dave. That's a tough job. His military service included tours with the intelligence community and the joint staff in the Pentagon and culminated as the 72nd Adjutant General for the United States Military Academy at West Point. Dave is a certified project management professional and he and a sought-after trainer. He has served as a member of the board of directors for the USO of New York City and the boards of several D.C. and Virginia chapters of the Project Management Institute, the PMI, and the Military Officers Association of America. He currently serves on the editorial advisory board of GI Jobs Magazine and is a member of the Leadership Council of the of the Seton Hall University Center for Leadership De Development. Dave's audiences and clients have included the World Bank, the CIA, FBI, Marshall Services, DHS, all military branches, several PMI chapters, and enterprises in the private sector. He has presented at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., the Harvard University, uh, University Kennedy School of Government, and of course, at West Point. Dave is a member of the National Speakers Association and the co-author of several books covering leadership, career transition, and project management. Oh, wow. 
that is quite that that but i'm just I, there's so much to talk about i don't even know where to begin michelle <laughs> where do we start I, hey uh, uh, a giver and a doer so dave welcome welcome you. to our podcast well thank thank you both it's it's great to to be with you guys again and and yeah that was as cindy mentioned that was a big job with the with the labor department but i did it with the help of of you two and and many others as you know we had quite a, a, a large staff and capable group of people and, and contractors who did that, most of whom were either um, separatees, retirees, or family members of, of those who have served. So that gave us a lot of insight and, and credibility into what we were talking about. And, and we understood uh, the importance of, of uh, the successful career transition, whether you were separating after a tour or leaving after 30 years of service. How, how to do that and how to identify what your niche can be and what you can bring to this new environment, uh, having served so well uh, within the military. Um, well, Dave, what a lot of folks may not know was in 2008, um, my husband and I had just uh, landed from Korea um, and probably two weeks into landing at a little place called Fort Stewart, Georgia. George was headed back to Iraq. And uh, maybe two or three months later, I spoke to you on the phone and you are the one who hired me for that Department of Labor facilitator position, which in turn absolutely lit a fire to what I found to be my, my passion um, and so, a, a job that I've just loved ever, ever since. And that's yeah. working with transitioning veterans. So you are the one who, uh, who um, <laughs> created this monster, just so you know. Well, that's that's <laughs> that's good to know. That's one good choice I've made out of out of uh, out of many but many opportunities to make good choices. But yeah, and this is you know, that job that I had, uh, kind of doing what you're doing now, but doing it under contract with uh, labor. Um, easily the best job I had in the civilian marketplace because it was still around my my peeps, so to speak, around my military colleagues and their and their families. But it did give you that sense of satisfaction that you're helping folks um, in their life. It's not just uh, you know, it's not just changing jobs. It's changing a lifestyle, uh, and it sounds daunting, but it need not be. And and it sounds extremely difficult, and at times it can be, but it doesn't. It's not it shouldn't stop you because you have no choice. You you've got to move on. And um, I think what you do, what we did. Uh, certainly what you're doing now is just to make that a little easier, uh, a little less daunting, and and to instill the confidence that, the, that these folks should have uh, in in going forward with what they've, how they've been taught, with their education, their training, their experience, their leadership, all of those things um, put, you know, put them far and above their contemporaries who haven't had that experience. And, it's, it's, you know, it's just a way to leverage that so you do well in the civilian world as well. Absolutely. And, and since I've known you, you've always had that passion. And, and uh, I think probably you, um, uh, you know, your leadership in that uh, uh, kind of drove me to continue to do that. And, and then, you know, when um, uh, we stepped away from some of that as, as a government contract, um, things change and that's fantastic. You know, uh, the ebbs and flows of that. Uh, but Cindy and I had become partners on there on the the contract and when uh those changes happened 
we just thought to ourselves, there's more to this. There's more opportunity. There's more information. And there are so many transitioning service members that we're really not competitive um, with others. We should be promoting others. We should mm -hmm. be promoting resources rather than limiting resources for our uh, transitioning service members. And so Cindy and I both said, all right, let's let's see if we can, um, uh, um, you know, tailor some uh, theater or, or or some avenues for how we can reach a larger audience and share numerous resources. And so that's why we want to talk to you today, because we believe you are one of those resources. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm honored. I'm, I'm uh, delighted to be able to do that. And we have, you know, we, we, as you said, we go back a ways and uh, it's, it's, it's always been fun <laughs> to, uh, to be able to go to a, a, a tap class or, or meet, meet soldiers or sailors, Marines, airmen, um, and, and they ask questions about getting out of the military and it turns into a two hour conversation over a cup of coffee, uh, because there are so many, as, as Michelle mentioned, there are so many resources out there. It makes you wonder something, are there just too many? Is, is it just overflow overload of information? And I don't know that there can be too many, but, uh, I think it's, it's good to be able to focus, uh, your attention on what is most significant to you as you're starting your transition. And, and I think we can talk a little bit about that today. And, and certainly this, this podcast and your services are a key resource um, for, for the uh, transitioning service member. So um, it's, uh, it's a great, it's a great um, story to tell. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a good, uh, good news story when we can talk about those who have successfully transitioned and, landed in the job of their dreams or are on their way to that. Um, it, it, what we found too is, and I'm sure you've seen it too, <clears throat> is that your first job need not be the be all and end all. Maybe it's, maybe you're going to, you're going to step uh, incrementally into that job of your dreams. Maybe you're going to volunteer for a while until you figure out exactly what you want to do. And we, I'm going to talk about that a little bit if we have a chance. So there are, there are many avenues of approach here. Uh, to, to success once you get out of the military. And I think we can talk about a lot of those today. And I love that you mentioned about the, the, the abundance of resources because that's what we have found there is. There is an abundance of resources and what we tell our uh, participants, uh, those that we're reaching out to, is listen to everything. Like listen to everything. Something will resonate. And it might even be the same message said in just a different way that gives you that light bulb moment, that moment of understanding. It could be from coming from someone like you, Dave, who've you've been there, you've done that, you've 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 uh, walked that walk, and and or it could be somebody from the civilian side uh, who's been in the civilian world for for a while, and and it's uh, the message is always the same: the water's good, come on over, and uh, you're going to be just fine. But I love what you said. And, and we will definitely address this. I love what you said about that first job out might not be the one that you stay with. This might not be the, the next 15, 20 years of your life. It, it, it doesn't have to be that. Um, and I know that Michelle and I talk about this often. There's, there's a level of loyalty that's yeah. just sort of inbred in you as a military person where you'll stay 
even if it's not where you feel like you should be because you've accepted that job and you'll stay even if it turns out to not be the right fit. And we want to let people know it's okay that that didn't yeah. work. You can move on. And then what you said about the volunteering and doing stuff uh, that, that is fulfilling and, and feel something like those are all things that we want to address and make sure that, um, you know, we are giving the opportunity to talk about those things. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I saw I, I'm in a maybe a unique position to see transition from multiple, multiple angles. My both my I'm I'm the son of two um soldiers um my my dad was world war ii and and retired as a colonel in the in the in the reserves so i saw his transition from now he was in the reserves, so he worked as well in the civilian world as a college uh, administrator but he when he took that uniform off for the last time um it was a significant emotional event for him and and the family and that was back in 1969 i still remember it um, mom was a PFC during World War II, so uh, I, I didn't. I, the only uniform I saw her in was back from picture of her in, in the 40s. That's a whole set of stories that I can share as another time. Um, and then my, my my own career and, and almost 22 years in my transition. And I've got three sons. Uh, I always kid, one's a civilian. I don't talk to him, but that's not true. I'm just kidding. Uh, the, but I've got my oldest and my youngest are both still in active duty in the army. Um, so it's a generational thing of, of, of service, particularly in the army, in my case, uh, even though one of my kids actually married into a Navy family, I'm not sure if I've really understood that, but <clears throat> anyway, I, I did have to learn how to speak Navy to my, uh, my son's father-in-law, but they're, they haven't transitioned yet out of the military. One uh, my oldest is a lieutenant colonel, and, and he will transition out. He's past retirement age now, uh, but loving what he does. So he, he'll be staying for a little bit longer. And my youngest one is uh, a staff sergeant and um, hopefully make E7 here soon. And then he'll have to decide if he's going to transition out, retire, or wait until he's got the number of years of service uh, in, in grade. But I'm preparing them now for their transition into, into the right. civilian world. Um, and you know, when dad talks to sons or daughters, yeah, sometimes yeah. they listen, sometimes <laughs> they don't. Um, I need to get my favorite, um, uh, friends and colleagues who have the same experience I do to talk to them because they'll listen yeah. to those, you know, those fun uncles who aren't really uncles yeah. but, and, and aunts who, who have the same experience as me, but they'll listen to them. Um, my point is that you get the information from wherever you can get it and don't discount anything because right. personal experiences that we've had, some will translate, some may not, but you might be surprised how, how similar most of our transitions are, what we go through, what we think about, what we fear, what we're looking forward to, um, what we're concerned about. It's almost universal. I think among all of us, particularly if you're retiring because you haven't had to look for a job and, at least 20 years, maybe 30 years. Uh, and that's changed. Now, many of us have had to interview for jobs within the service to be an aide de camp or to be in uh, secretary general staff or to be this or be that or a commander. But, you know, if you don't get that job, you go back to your old job. You're not, you're not, not putting bread on the table. The stress level is a little different. Um, and when you're out in the civilian world, um, 
clearly that stress level has increased. Uh, what we all knew as the pucker factor, right? Um, it, it increases. Right. And that's and that's okay. Stress is not a bad thing. We've learned that many years ago, right? There's distress and there's eustress and, and positive stress is a motivator. It keeps you going. It's what gets you out of bed in the morning. So it's okay to have to be a little, uh, a little stressed about it. It helps you prepare. It helps you focus. And it's normal. It's normal. And um, I, I would I hope those in your audience who are, who are facing transition realize that what they're feeling is absolutely universal and normal. Um, and, and they are, as I mentioned earlier, they are far better prepared, even though they may not always realize it, far, far better prepared to enter the civilian marketplace. Remember, they used to be civilians. They, you know, right. at, at one point, they were civilians. The, the real serious, difficult transition for many of us was going into the military, a place we'd never right. been before. Right. And in an environment uh, that we were totally unfamiliar with, other than watching it on TV, which is rarely depicted accurately. And here we are now we're at, in basic training. We're going, oh, my Lord, what did I what did I do? And yet <laughs> and yet we assimilate. We figure it out. We, we achieve some level of success, particularly if we've if sustained a retirement. And and now we're going back into the civilian world. So what? Why be so frightened of going back to what you knew? Uh, and it's, it was kind of a, a weird thing. Even though you spent a lot of time in the, in the military, you get used to the camaraderie, you get used to the, to the hours, you get used to wearing a uniform and, and not having to remember anybody's name because you can look at it right on their shirt. And uh, that was a difficult transition for me. I'm not good with names, just you know, wear a name tag like we used to wear. But it, it's 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 interesting that we that we fear this transition of going from military to the civilian world when I think the 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 greater apprehension for many of us was probably when we left the comforts of home and the civilian world and entered this strange new military environment, which had far more rigor than we were probably used to. And, I agree. and so yeah, use I agree. that. So leverage that knowledge uh, to the to this transition. So, Dave, you know, when my husband uh, served at, at Fort Bragg, now Fort Liberty, and, and Cindy's husband did the same thing. He was a uh, jump master. And I remember visiting him and on one wall in, in their building was painted. I mean, huge letters painted complacency kills. And I always think about that wall um, as you're talking about stress and the stress that comes along <laughs> with transitioning out of the military is not a bad stress. What we never want to do is be complacent because that's when balls get dropped. So double check things, learn more, educate yourself more, yeah. talk to more people. That's the same. It's the same motto. It's the same uh, in, in my mind, the, ex the same executive skills you were taught in the military, i.e. complacency kills, applies to your transition project. Mm -hmm. um, so as you're talking about that level of stress, that manageable, healthy stress is a good thing. It keeps you in tune to some of the things that you should be pursuing. Would you agree? I absolutely agree. Not only does it help you in your transition, so you're not complacent about it and just sit back and wait for the phone to ring because, hey, I, I just got out of the out of the Army or out of the Marine Corps and I'm I'm pretty, pretty good at what I do. So I'm just going to wait here and sit in my basement and and I'm going to job search you know, on the Internet. And I'm just going to wait for people to knock on my door and call me on the phone. Not going to work. Not going to happen. You got to get out there and 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 market yourself. 
but also that same level of, of stress, that good stress, the you stress, um, and don't ask me how to spell it, but it's you stress, it's good stress. Uh, that also serves you well when you get your job, because that right. can also be a rare commodity nowadays in, in the workforce that people that are motivated to do extremely well and not be complacent. Um, that's not only going to help you in your job search, help you get the job, but it's going to help you be successful in that job because it, it's it's a commodity that that uh, hiring managers are looking for. Yeah, and I think that I think sometimes that what what I hear uh, from the transitioning service member, their fear comes from um, not knowing what the hiring managers are looking for, not knowing how to speak to them. And, you know, it's so funny because I, I used to work in a position where I worked with companies to help them hire better, teach them how to find good candidates and how to yeah. read resumes right. and all that. And it was so funny because I would always say the same thing. I say this to our transition service members. What I heard from hiring managers, their fear was, what if I'm not good at interviewing someone? What if I you know, don't communicate good, you know, good information about the job? What if I miss out on a great candidate because I don't, you know, make the job seem exciting enough for them to want to take the job? So they have the same fears. Everybody's in the same boat. We just have to teach people how to, to uh, teach the service members how to uh, present themselves and their skills in a manner. I always say that the hiring manager, once you're sitting there, the, the clouds open up, the sun shines down and you say, this is the one, this is the one, yeah. uh, you know, and you just have to communicate oh. your skills to present that to the hiring we, manager. Cindy, we could do a whole podcast or several on interview skills and interviewing. And I think most what we would what we probably would all agree is that most hiring managers and I and I was one for a long, 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 long time. Uh, not not the same as the HR folks that screen your resume and get you the appointment with the hiring manager. But most hiring managers are not adept at interviewing. It's not their job. Their job right. is whatever their job is. They're a program manager, a director, or whatever it happens to be. And and they're not trained interviewers. What do they use as their as their go-by sheet? They use your resume. So they're going to ask you questions about your resume. And so your resume better be accurate. And you better be able to talk about your resume and not lie about your resume or lie on your resume. And, and, and those, in, well, again, we could do a whole podcast on it, but those interviewers, those hiring managers just want to get it over with. They want, they that's want to fill true. that job. They want that's you to right. get that job more than you want to get that job. Because if there's a gap in that, right? if there's a gap and I've got an open position, Here's what's happening. Either I'm doing that work and I don't want to do it, or I've got to cobble staff together to get that job done. And now that that in, that impacts their regular day job. So I want you as an interviewee to knock it out of the ballpark. I want you to, to exactly. impress me to be successful so I can say, OK, we're done here. We're going to hire this person and we're going to do it right now because right. this person meets Let's my move. needs. So right. so I always tell folks when they're in when they've gotten they got into the interview stage. They've passed the, the smell test with their resume. So you wouldn't be there if you weren't qualified. So you should be smiling about that. And now the, the hiring manager wants you to get the job. You're armed and ready to get the job. You've, you've done all the things that you need to do. You're prepared. You're dressed properly. You got, you got there on time. 
you've done all that prep work, all that research, you know about the company, you know about all these things, you're going to knock it out of the park. You should be smiling ear to ear and have all the confidence in the world because you're probably going to get the job offer. Now you're now your only concern is how do I decide which offer to take? Because you're doing that everywhere you go. You're dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's because you've prepared, because that's what we're taught to do in the military, right? right. You don't, you don't, you don't just wing it normally, <laughs> not, not successfully. You prepare and you prepare your folks and you read and you research and you, and you practice and you go to the range and you, you know, you, you've taken that shot a lot of times. So now it's, it's second nature. You've, you've prepared your, your um, uh, elevator speech, uh, your professional introduction, as it's known now, you've done that over and over and over again. So now it's, it's second nature. And now you get into an interview and and you're used to being in front of folks and, and you're confident about your background and you know your resume rocks. And, and now you get a chance to elaborate and talk more about yourself. And the person right. across from you wants you to be successful. Man, right. this is, this is a good news story. I love that you're pointing out to veterans because they, their perspective often is they're going into that interview and, and, you know, like you said, we could take this down a, a whole nother rabbit trail, but their perspective is they're swimming upstream, that they're going against, you know, the odds as they go into this interview. And what you're saying here is you're walking into team you, yeah. they want you to be good. They want you to be successful. So go in, go in uh, swinging because they're on your side. Right. If somebody has booked an interview with you, they're mm -hmm. cheering for you to be <laughs> successful, not, yeah. not hoping that you blow this. So yeah, some veterans have in their mind, you know, this is going to be a, a nightmare and it's not, you know. No, it's, interviewing is the fun part of career transition. Uh, the, writing the resume is the hard part, but getting in, the, in there and talking about yourself, well, for many of us, that's that's a good day. But I, I mean, I know, I know some... I know some people are not are not yeah. uh, not built that way, yeah. but my advice is get that way. You have to be able to market yourself. You have to be able to talk about yourself with confidence, and you should. And even if it's a little bit painful and awkward that first time or two, it's okay. You'll get used to it. Just on that, just on that note, uh, what I always say to the service member too, when those who say, "Well, I really am not comfortable talking about myself and my accomplishments," I always say, "You've got to look at this from." the the standpoint of what you're bringing to the table the hiring manager has a need they need something done they they need someone who can can do this job ask yourself can i do this job will i do this job will i be an asset if that's the truth if you can say yes to those things then you're actually helping this person by telling them those things about you you got to turn it around sometimes for the service member who doesn't like to talk about themselves doesn't like to promote themselves and say look you're doing them a favor it's just like the same with networking oh i i don't like to ask people for help well let me ask you this if i call you and I say, hey, I see you're working for such and such company, and I would really like to have an introduction on LinkedIn. Would you mind doing that? Would you do that for me? And they always say, of course I would. I would love to do that for yeah. you. And I say, why would you want to do that? Well, because I would want to help you. Well, other yeah. people want to help you. Give the person the opportunity to help you because it makes us feel good, too. So right. it's and, sometimes and you've got to turn it around. You know, And not only... Not only yeah, right, Cindy. Not only in the job interview, but in the networking environment. When you're out there, people—it's human nature, 
right? People want to be helpful. They do. People want to be your hero, as odd as that might sound. And, and it's flattering when someone asks you for help. So of course you're going to help them. Why wouldn't you? Because you would, you, as you said, Cindy, you would do the same thing for somebody else. So it's, it's, it's perfectly acceptable to ask for some assistance. And if you don't want to ask Joe Blow for a job, ask Joe Blow for some advice. You know, right, I, right. Joe, I'm, I'm, I'm in the That's job market. I'm, I'm looking That's the interesting how, thing, uh, Dave. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. I didn't mean to talk over you, but that's the interesting thing, Dave, is that if you talk to a veteran about mentorship, um, they value mentorship. They have had mentors in the military that advise them on, you know, pursue this career path, pursue this school, pursue, uh, you know, study this as you go in front of yeah. you know, this board or that board. And, and then they have always been honored in being another service member's mentor, reaching back and helping another service member be successful in their career. So the word mentorship is something that our service members embrace and hold a value. But you say, now go ask for help. And they go, no, 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 no. I don't ask for help. So Cindy and I have made an effort to change our language in saying, listen, everybody that we're going to introduce you to, every resource that we're introducing you to, um, want to mentor you through this process. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think that's something that in their mind, uh, I, I can, I, I am, it's a pride issue maybe that I don't want to say I need help, but I love being taught. I love being educated. I love advice from somebody who I value that advice from. And so I view mentorship as a positive thing and I view help as a negative thing. So we've just changed the language and we say everybody that we're introducing them to, and I, and I, and we mean it sincerely. So it's not like a manipulation here. We right. mean it sincerely. These are folks who want to be your mentors, who want to mentor you through this process. Um, and, so and I would, I, I would almost guarantee that everybody that's listening to this that decides that's okay to ask questions and, and seek a mentor will at one time down the road be a mentor because they, it's just the natural order of things. Uh, it's happened to both of you. It's happened to me. Uh, we were all mentored by somebody or several people and here we are doing it again, kind of paying it forward. And, and those in your audience and those who, who see you on the platform will invariably want to do the same thing because a, it's Absolutely. human nature, and B, it's the right thing to do. Absolutely. Well, Dave, let me let me kind of uh, switch gears here a little bit. Something that um, you you've done a lot of writing. Uh, I know that you have got several books out there. Um, I'm honored to say I have a couple autographed uh, books of yours, <laughs> so I'll keep those um, for their value. Um, but uh, you recently, uh, actually, I don't know if this is recent, but you wrote an article um, about transition, about the job of getting a job. Yeah. Um, and in the beginning of that article, um, you wrote a portion called First Things First. Um, and I'm just going to pull a little bit of an excerpt out of that because I want to go down this side of our conversation a little. Where you talked about the successful job search begins with an internal analysis. And in your writings, you you said, the more we understand what makes us tick, or perhaps more importantly, in the job search process, what makes us happy, the better our chances of landing a job that gives us the best chance 
of long-term success. And I want to kind of expand that conversation a little bit more. Um, you know, sometimes a veteran views happiness as something that's not necessarily going to pay the bills. So I don't need to be happy. I need to go find a job. I need to find something that helps me uh, not have an identity crisis as I transition out of the military. And you kind of push back on that a little bit and say, you don't have to sacrifice one for the other. So I wanted to get you to expand on your thoughts of finding a job that does bring that level of happiness. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, well, I have many. <laughs> um, I'm reading a book now on on happiness, uh, actually. It's interesting. There's, there's lots, of, lots of them out there. This one is written by a guy named, ready for this, Gad Sad. His last name is S-A-A-D, and it's the sad truth about happiness. It's it's really oh, fascinating. He gets into the into the um, uh, psychological aspects of of what makes people happy. Interesting. Um, but when I used to when I used to um, visit the transition classes, I always I always asked the group whether they were sailors, Marines, soldiers, or uh, or or whatever service component they were regardless of their rank structure. Um, how many in here have been deployed and hands go up? Uh, how many have had multiple deployments and more hands go up? Uh, how many have missed birthdays? Everybody's hand. How many have missed births? And a lot of hands go up. And I say, well, I know my two of my sons have missed um, all of their kids' births because they were deployed somewhere in Iraq or Afghanistan or somewhere. And I was the, as grandpa, I was there. I got to be there for the birth of their child. And uh, as great as it was for me to be, to be able to do that, it was also sad at the same time that, that they weren't there. They were there by video or by a phone call um, subsequent to that. So my point is, it's now your time. Now that you're transitioning from the military, it's your turn to take care of yourself and your family. And with that responsibility for your own self, um, comes a, a, a fair amount of, of freedom to do what you want to do, to be what you want to be. And that means that you've got to consider that as in, in, in preparation for your, for your leaving the military. You can't just leave and say, well, whatever comes down the pike, I'll just go do that. You're more than what you were. You know, you're more than a summation of all those assignments you've had. You, you can do all different kinds of different things. You, you, you could... If you were a fireman, for instance, on, on an aircraft carrier, that doesn't mean you need to be a fireman in the local community. You could be, and maybe that's what you want to do. That's fine. Um, or you could go teach high school math. You could, you could do something that's in line with what you've done, or it's 180 degrees different from what you've done, or somewhere in between. And, and as I alluded to earlier, you may, you may not want to work right away, particularly if you've if you've served, you know, 25, 30 years and you you need some time to to kind of assess the battlefield, so to speak, and what's out there and really what do I want to do? I'm not quite sure yet. There are scads of volunteer opportunities um, to, to do that. And I want to come back to that a little bit later if I can. Uh, but you asked about happiness. So let's talk about that for a second. Um, I've written about uh, this story um, and uh, I, I know you guys know it well it's it's affectionately known as the forklift story it's a true story as i as i tell it 
it's a true story. All my stories are true. This one's more true than the other ones, but that's 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 just a joke. It's it's true. Um, All those fish years, stories he's got out there. Yeah, <laughs> that was this big. Uh, years ago, years ago, um, I was still on active duty. I was I was on the staff. I was on the joint staff at the Pentagon, and I was the EA to the J one. And you know, as many in your audience will will attest, the best assignment you had was the last assignment you had, not not the one you're in, and maybe maybe the one you're going to, but it's it's always the last one you had, and this one's not so great, right? But so here I was at the Joint Staff and working, you know, at least six days a week. And those in your in your audience who have been at the Pentagon, particularly on, on the senior staffs there, will, will identify with this. You know, you often sleep on the couch in, in the office, uh, especially if there's real world problems going on and you know things are, are happening. Don't bother going home. Uh, and in hindsight, it was a great job. While I was doing it, it was hard. Um, but at that level with those folks on the joint staff, I was surrounded by professionalism and, and just the best of the best. I think I, I was probably the only exception to that rule. In any event, in any event, it was, it was a tough job. So that sets the stage for uh, a, one Sunday in the, in the summer. Um, I'm, I'm off, I'm home. And um, my wife, Tina is a, is a master gardener. And what that means is, uh, number one, she reminds me I'm not. Number two, she she <laughs> tells me where to dig and, and how deep to dig and what to cut and where to cut it, and I just follow my my orders. Um, and so this one Sunday, she says you need to go to Home Depot and pick up all this outside material, you know, um, seed and 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 lime and shrubbery and all that stuff you know you know, we've all been to home depot and and that outside portion uh where where all that stuff is so here it is on a, on my day off on a sunday in the summer and i'm at home depot and i'm not very happy because i want to be home getting ready to watch the baseball game and but i'm not i'm doing my my uh, my due diligence and i've i'm walking around the outside part of the of that that uh, the shrubbery area and i've got my huge metal um, uh, cart, you know, with the three good wheels and the one crazy wheel and, and it's not cooperating and I'm mo moseying around out there looking for all this stuff that I've got to get in the mulch and all that. And I'm just steaming. I'm not happy. I want to get home because I know when I get home, I'm still not going to watch the game, right? I've got to unload all this stuff. I've got to dig. I've got to do something. So I'm not real thrilled with it. Anyway, I'm moseying around and I see off down one of the aisles, a forklift. Home Depot forklift. All right. Well, I'm a, I'm a guy. And when guys see heavy machinery, we are instantly drawn toward it. So I started meandering over without even recognizing it, getting closer to this forklift because I'm kind of fascinated by, by this. Right. And, and I, I get closer and the aisle is marked off, you know, with the crime scene tape that they put up so nobody gets hurt, you know, and, and I'm looking at this guy on the forklift and he's he, he's just having the time of his life. He's a little bit older than me. He's got a little bit more salt than pepper in his hair. He's got a about a week's growth of beard. And, and he's on this forklift and he is just smiling ear to ear. And he's driving this forklift and he's lifting up his pallets and moving and chatting with the people off to the side. And, and I'm getting closer and closer and closer. And and 
and he looked at me and I, our eyes met <laughs> and, uh, and he, he, we're looking at each other kind of like puppy dogs in, in the window, right? Tilting our head saying, I think I know this guy. So he finally lowers the pallets and, and, and turns off the forklift and throws his arm over the steering column. He's looking at me and I'm on the other side of the caution tape and we're looking at each other and we, we, we know we know each other. This has happened countless times to folks, right? And you, 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 trying to make that connection. And he's looking at me, he says, uh, we served together, didn't we? And I said, uh, yeah, I think we did. And, uh, and he said, you're Dave, right? Dave Maurer. And I said, yes. And I still don't know who he is. I know I've, I know I know him, but I can't, I can't remember his name. I can't remember why I know him. He said, you're Dave Maurer and you, you commanded the MIPS, the military entrance processing station up in Butte, Montana some time ago. I said, yeah, I did. And I thought, oh, this guy is really good. And I'm really embarrassed that I don't know who he is. But it, as we talked a little bit more about my service at the Butte MEPS, it finally connected, finally clicked in my head. I knew who he was. He had been my boss's boss. He was, he was a Marine, a retired Marine Colonel, now obviously retired. And he was the deputy commander of MEPCOM up in Chicago. And my boss, who was the director of the region, worked for him and I worked for her. So he was my boss's boss and, and I and here he is driving a forklift at the Home Depot. So in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, my Lord, what did you do? What did you do, <laughs> Colonel? You ended up you were a Colonel in Marine Corps and now you're driving a forklift. Oh, Lord. So I obviously wouldn't say that. What I said was, hey, sir, <laughs> what what brings you here? And and I said, you know, I was curious. And he said, well, I retired from the Corps about 18 months ago and up in North Chicago. And my daughter and her family live here in, in this in this town. It was in Woodbridge, Virginia. And uh, so we we up and you know left quarters at in Chicago, wanted to be near my kids. And I said, no, no, no. What, what brings you to Home Depot to this job? I'm really curious. And he said, well, again, you know, we wanted to be close to our kids. So we came down here and and uh, got a little townhouse not far from them. And and I was just embracing retirement, enjoying life, doing really nothing. Now, albeit he was retired 06 and, and uh, his kids had grown, obviously. So he had that that luxury of, of perhaps not working, at least for a while. And uh, and he said, so, uh, you know, it was good. Life was good. And uh, and then one Sunday. I was over at the Home Depot. And uh, and he said, I saw this guy on a forklift and it looked like fun. So I applied for the job and I got it. And I said, really? He goes, yeah. He said, just like you're here on a Sunday. Uh, I was here on a Sunday and I saw this guy. So that's what I, I did. And I said, well, how, how do you like it? He goes, are you kidding me? I love it. He said, I come in in the morning. I turn it on. I'm out here tooling around outside. Uh, inside and outside, they, they, they sent me to plant school. I learned a little bit about horticulture. At 4.30, I turn it off. I go home. I pop open a beer. I put on the ball game, play with my grandchildren. I don't think about anything until the next day. If they, if they gave me a supervisory job, I'd quit and go work at Lowe's. And then he said, what do you do? And that's when I hung my head down and said, oh, I work at the Pentagon. And he said, oh, man, I'm sorry. And, and so I went from feeling sorry about him to feeling sorry about myself. And then I realized 
he had found something. And what had he found? He found happiness. He found his happy. His happy was being near his family, getting outside, learning a new skill, meeting other people, giving back something to society, and being around his family. And he director, a program manager, a VP. You know, he could have done all kinds of things. And none of that's bad. I mean, all, all of that's good. But but for him, it wasn't as important as doing something that was going to make him happy. You talk about 180-degree difference from being a, a, an active duty Marine 06 deputy commander to nothing to then driving a forklift and having the time of his life. That was that stuck, That has stuck with me for decades since that happened. And I've told that story countless times because it's important that we find something that's gonna make us fulfilled and happy. And it may, as I said earlier to Cindy, it may not be the first job you get. Maybe it is, and then you're very fortunate, but maybe it's not. Maybe there are other other factors that are involved in, you know, we look, we've all got to take care of our family and ourselves, and we've got to make enough money to sustain our, sure. our lifestyle. So not everybody can, can leave the military and not work immediately. I get that. But that's not my point. My point is that when you have that opportunity to understand what you really, what really floats your boat and what's really going to make you enjoy the rest of your life, or at least now, then you should take advantage of that. And he did. And, and, and I learned a lot from him. What is interesting is um, as Cindy and I were putting together our program, um, and and our workshop is uh, is the acronym is ESEL, and the workshop is called Employment Strategies for Executive Leaders, and a lot of that, Dave, comes exactly from what you're talking about. Um, we teach employment strategies. It just happens to be you're an executive leader. That doesn't mean that every one of our senior leaders that are that are um, on our website, that are uh, you know having one-on-one -on -one conversations with us, or that are sitting in our class, want to go into that executive position. Um, but what we're trying to do is teach them the employment strategy of where they want to go. So we're meeting them not right. where they're at, but where they want to go. And that's right. an assumption sometimes, I believe, that executive leaders get pulled into is as they start to transition out of the military, folks in the industries that know what they do begin wooing them. Um, and it can easily turn into a position where they're jumping from the frying pan into the fire. And so that's why we spend a lot of time uh, trying to um, uh, to bring people like you to uh, to reinforce this mindset of before we even start looking for the job, let's look for what it is we want to do. What is right. going to bring us that that yeah. that happiness component? As well as, like you're saying, if, if, if we have to have that paycheck that's going to impact our family, what is the balance? Where's that Venn diagram fall that happiness is still embedded within that? That's right. And and uh, I, my, I'm, I feel very strongly that 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 requires some introspection and some and some some work on the part of the transitioning service member. You have to I used to say just. Go put on, you know, Australian rules football and just vegetate for a little bit. Watch something that you're not paying attention to and think about 
when you were happy. When were you happy? What were you doing? Where were you? Were you in Arizona or were you in Manhattan? Were, were you leading or were you not leading? Were you inside or outside? What, what were you doing that you were happy? And can you find that now, perhaps at a different level, perhaps not, that that will meet that kind of criteria? And, and also to not try to be what someone else thinks you should be. As I said earlier, we're more than a summation of all those jobs that we've had from right. high school through our service and so on. Um, you have to decide what what you want to be and who you want to be. And yes. it, it's not an easy it's not an easy thought process. It's I'm 67. I'm still not sure what I want to be when I grow up because yeah. there are so many different opportunities out there. Up until a week ago, I didn't know I had this opportunity to do a podcast on one of my favorite topics, and that's, you know, career transition. So you just don't know. Uh, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. So, but you've got to, you, in order to focus your, your job search, you really do need to think about what you want to be and where, where you want to go, what kind of work you want, and what's going to make you happy. And the best, the best avenue of approach to that is to think back on what jobs you had where you were happiest. And it may have been, you know, when you were a mid-grade officer or a, a mid-grade enlisted uh, soldier. Maybe you were an E5 or an E6 or you were a captain and you just had a great job. And, and maybe that was because you weren't ultimately in charge of everything. You were part of a team. Well, then look for a job where you could be part of a team and not necessarily aspire to be the leader of the team, like my friend on the forklift who said, if they made me a supervisor, I'll go look, work at Lowe's. He didn't want that anymore. He'd been there, done that, as obviously very successful as a colonel and as a deputy commander, just just didn't want to do it anymore. And and that's there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, there's everything oh, right with that because exactly. he knew what was going to float his boat. But it takes it takes work. Transition is work. You've got you've got to think about what you want to be and where you want to go, what kind of work you want to do. And if you don't, then you're likely to take the first job that comes down the down the pike, which may not meet your needs. And now you get soured because oh, I wish I was back in the army again, because at least I knew who was on my my flank and who was who was who. And now I'm lost in this world where I really don't want to be. I, I don't know anything about it, but I took the best the first job because a, I didn't do my homework. and and so it's re it's a requirement in this career transition process to do some research. And the research, as I said in that article, begins in your own brain and in your own heart. What about me? What what makes me happy? What have I done? Why was I successful? What traits do I have that made me successful or made me different than the person, another person next to me? What how did I how did I achieve that? What and how can I how can I use that now in the job search and ultimately in my, in my new job? But if you don't do those things, if you don't do your homework and you don't do your prep work, then you're you're more likely to to get a job that you're really not going to be satisfied. You know, the one thing I love about that story that the one thing that I really really love about that story is all I because I'm I'm a very visual person. So while you're telling that story. I'm envisioning you in Home Depot pushing the cart with the wheel. You know, I'm envisioning the whole thing. 
And all I can picture is you stopping and noticing the forklift and walking towards it because isn't that the thing that intrigued him too? It also intrigued you that you wanted to go over yeah. and check out your, yeah. as you said, I'm a guy. It's a big piece of machinery. I want to go, yeah. you know, it's just, truck. it's a big, yeah, it truck. Is. and it just, it's <laughs> sort right. of in my head. It's, it's almost like that's the story is that he's sort of almost living out what your, your little fantasy of being yeah. able to do this is. And that's kind yeah. of cool. To, it was the same day, that person. It was the same day of the week that I was there. You know, I was there on a Sunday. He was there on a Sunday. He was almost telling me, "Don't you want to? Don't you want to do this? Want to drive this? Don't you want to drive? Wouldn't this? you rather do this tomorrow <laughs> than drive to the Pentagon and and work twelve hours and sleep on the He's couch? Salt exactly. in the wound. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah, and what? I just, I and I love that though because it, I that stayed with you. It planted a seed, and and now not only are you. That's right. Were you um, affected by that that moment in time? But you've taken that and and affected other people in a good way. <laughs> you know, you've 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 told them that that story, and and it is it's about happiness. If life isn't, Michelle and I say it all the time. Michelle and I say we are at an age, <laughs> you know, we are at an age that if it's not valuable and doesn't make us happy, I am not wasting my time doing it. There's not a chance. <laughs> I mean, I've yeah, you know, we. Time is not guaranteed, and um, I'm just not going to waste time on stuff that doesn't make me happy. So, so I love that story. I think well, that's a great story. Well, uh, yeah, the other thing that makes me happy in, in a weird transition here, um, and I suspect makes almost everybody, and if, they're, if they say it doesn't, I think they're not telling the truth, what makes them happy are Oreo cookies. Now, let me tell you about why I want to talk about Oreo cookies. To hear Dave's Oreo story, please join us next week for an extended episode of Tactical Transition with Dave Maurer. We're very excited to have Dave on, and he has a lot more uh, great information for you. But we do want to be cognitive of your time, and so we're going to turn this into a two-episode podcast and we look forward to spending time with you again next week in a special edition of Tactical Transition. Until then. This has been the Tactical Transition Podcast. Thank you for listening. Be sure to push the follow button on our podcast and subscribe to ESELseminars.com.